0: This is time. and welcome to the five star podcast my name is Tom Savage hope you're having a good week Um, the final score in this game and on Saturday was uh, sharks 50 at monster 35 a decisive loss um, for monster in you know I, I think what was um, as I said in the, in the the body ratings for this game which came out yesterday a game where I understand where monster are at the moment I, 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 I can I can intellectually accept that there are a number of things that are building to get monster from where we are at the moment where we were to where we want to be but at the same time that doesn't make it any easier to watch a game like this where we were so decisively beaten um, when it comes to the physicality stakes in certain aspects of the game um, and i i suppose just how over the last couple of weeks you know, that that's really disappointing aspects of, of uh Munster's overall performances that ask a few questions that I think, even though it is year one of this coaching group and a, a bunch of new players being brought in, that do need to be addressed. And I think it's it's more complex, I think, and, and probably a more interesting uh, story as well, than just, oh, Munster just need to be better. Because of course they do, but there are reasons for all of this, and I suppose that I think, and I'm guilty of, of this as much as anybody, of trying to find a historical geographic marker as to where Munster are at the moment to kind of give us a sort of a, a rough timeline as to when we should be expecting them to start winning again. Like, for example, I've had a number of emails, I'm, I'm going to be reading out a few of them there now in this in this podcast, Um, just kind of basically wondering are we Leinster in 2015, 2016? (laughs) Are we Munster in 2002? Are we Munster in 1999? Um, And the answer is, like, we're none of those teams. We're, at the moment, it's kind of really difficult to see where Munster are going, because we have, I think, good young players who are coming up and who are, I think, if they can get a good run of fitness, can be a really good team. At the same time, there are key areas that I think that Munster need to um, reinforce from outside of, of Ireland with non-Irish qualified players that won't happen. I don't, I'd don't. i be surprised if it happens this season unless something has dramatically changed since the last couple of weeks. Um, but maybe, perhaps, we'll do for the season after next, after the World Cup, um, when you know, there, there'll be some contract wiggle room with Snaiman, more than likely and we'll have a rough idea as to where we are. Um, but at the same time, what the coaches are bringing in needed to be brought in. We are generally on an upward curve and despite losing this game in a way that we probably wouldn't have lost it last year, because again, I've, I've I've used that as a stick to beat Van Horn with, I suppose, or Larkin with, you know, beat with air quotes around it. Um, in the past, roan Munster have done things well, but I don't think we lose that game to the same level last season either. So, at the same time, while acknowledging that, I think that what we're trying to do from a systemic perspective is actually far more likely to lead to actual success in next season or the season after than what we were doing last season. I think that might sound contradictory, but I hope I will explain myself over the course of the last or the next 40 minutes or whatever. Um, I've had a number of emails. Um, I've had a number of, of, of uh, uh, messages on, on Patreon from, and this is to do with the other rugby that's happened over the weekend um, with um, Leinster beating Ulster, Connacht going out as well um, I think some of it was spurred by a good discussion on the, the 42 podcast um, yesterday, which I think you can su- subscribe to now for, I think it's like 5 a month um, Maury Kinsella, Gavin Casey and uh, Bernard Jackman were speaking about the I suppose, like, Leinster being a super province at the moment, with the other three provinces filling in little bits and pieces, certainly when we're talking about nation, like, national representation, but also, um, all of the other three provinces are now out of Europe, Leinster are the only one left, and I, I suppose it doubles down on what has been... Look, look, Leinster won nothing last year, but when you look at how well Ireland have been going, mostly powered by Leinster, number one team in the world rankings, and... Um, it is perceived at the moment that leinster are and i think a perception in this instant is reality is miles up miles ahead of of, of the other three provinces so a lot of people are asking like how do you catch up with that what is the the best way to to try to do that do does the you even want that to happen um look i think the you want all the provinces to be successful to a certain extent My own personal opinion is, is that when it comes to Ireland representation over the last three years, there has been a definite, there was a gamble that has paid off, where they wanted to try to get as much cohesion into the Irish team as possible. As a result, they started picking a lot of Leinster players en masse. These Leinster players, of course, came from a a few generations, maybe maybe three or four really good generations of players who were coming up in the mid to late uh, 2010s you know, the likes of Ryan Baird would have been the, the last of, a, of, of that generation, I suppose. And um, you look at the, the success that Ireland have had with picking, you know, mostly Leinster back five with one weakness that Leinster have in their back five of the their kind of their, their overall breakdown work in the back five, coupled with line work, Peter Manny fills out that hole pretty well for that, for Ireland and, and Leinster, we'll say. So he's successful there. Uh, Ian Henderson and Tyke Byrne are, are for me better players than a Ross Maloney so that fills out a weakness that would be in the Leinster back five also but you look at Caelan Doris how good a player he is how good a player Josh van der Fleer is how well Gibson Park has come in since he uh, moved here from New Zealand um, coupled with Sexton you know degenerational generational player of the last you know 20 years in this, in, in this country um, I think that that is fair enough it's been successful for Ireland, it's fair enough, but what makes it difficult is, post Six Nations, when Leinster are that much more dominant than all the other Irish provinces that are there. I've had a bit of a discussion about it on uh, Twitter this morning, because I'm recording this on Tuesday morning, little girl had a vaccine yesterday, she was getting nine, I think? So she was very upset all day. I couldn't really record a podcast because she was very, very upset for most of the day, and I was upset too. I hate seeing her upset. <laughs> I'm a big sap, really. But um, I've got like I, I basically I saw this article by um, uh, it was by Murray Kinsella. Um, it was about a, I think it was a press conference that Stuart Lancaster had this week where he was basically saying, and asked I suppose you know, about the advantages that are there, because I think Dan McFarlane brought it up in the aftermath of the defeat, that, you know, you can't really fight demographics to a certain extent, and, like, there's no easy way to talk about it, because there is a natural tendency in people to go, well, no, sorry, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not me, it's, it's, it's like, it's the, like, it's, it, I've got to be better, like, the game isn't rigged I just have to be better and I think as people don't like to be seen to be complaining about this stuff because it comes across as chip on your shoulder which is a big issue in rugby actually weirdly enough to be seen to be having a chip on your shoulder is a bit of a weird one in rugby I think part of that comes down to and I know this because keep in mind I deal with AIL clubs every single week okay I understand the people who I'm speaking to and the people who I'm working with um A lot of people there who aren't like me, who aren't from where I'm from, and that's totally fine. But when you hear, and I I hear this a lot whenever I speak about it, about, you know, oh, you have a chip in your shoulder, you have this, that, and the other, like, I think there's an element of not being able to understand where other people are coming from and why money is important. When you don't have money, um, money is very important. 20 euro is incredibly important. When you've always had money and comfort and i suppose you know lived in an area where that's never really been an issue money can seem like a trifling thing like a you know who cares you know like where you lose 20 euro for example and you're annoyed but it's not not the end of the world um but i have lived the other life so i understand what it's like to have nothing and i understand the differences between having things and not having things and how it affects your ability to do bullshit nonsense like rugby because again look this is sport this is not real life we're talking about here um and one question i got literally right before i recorded this was very very interesting this is from uh, jpkm123g um oh uh, J, J, sorry jp murphy i think it is sorry about that i just read whatever came in my email sorry i know this is for the trk mailbag but this is literally to do with what i was going to talk about at the start of this podcast anyway tom why one has to acknowledge the importance of money and population and the rise of leinster over the last 13 to 14 years i don't think it fully or even substantially explains the gap that is open uh, up between them and the other provinces in general and munster in particular in that period Munster made a series of bad decisions over that period, a series of ornamental signings in a big new stadium, and effectively wasted the position we were in in the mid-2000s when we had 20k underage players in Munster, but that's in the past, we can only change the future. With that in mind, if we look at New Zealand rugby by logic that money population drives the bulk of success, Auckland should be the kings of New Zealand rugby. Auckland, i.e. that part of the North Island, has the same socio-economic advantages over the rest of New Zealand that Leinster have uh, over the rest of Ireland. Yet it is Canterbury, a team headquartered in a city with a population of Cork City that was devastated by an earthquake ten years ago, that if the dominant team in New Zealand rugby in the professional era, maybe we could stop moaning about the advantages Leinster have and adopt some of the Canterbury number no. eight wire mentality." Um, that's like, on, on the last part, I've lived in New Zealand. When it comes to uh, Auckland as being one of the main cities there that is certainly true and having a lot of player base that is also true but what is different from Auckland and Dublin is it's far easier to move from um, Cork we'll say to Dublin or from Kerry to Dublin or from Limerick to Dublin for work than what it is to go from Canterbury to um, Auckland. New Zealand is actually more decentralized than what Dublin is over the last couple of years. Now, Because bear in mind, I've lived in all of these places, right? I've lived in Dublin. I've been in New Zealand, in Canterbury, actually, and uh, in Christchurch. And I get what what you're saying with regards to the culture of um, rugby in New Zealand. It's actually, from my experience, having been there, more decentralized than what we have here. Now, the big issue for me, and, and this is something that's going to go outside rugby to a small bit is and it's because this is something I've experienced personally myself is in the post 2009 we'll say 2008 crash we'll say big the great recession that happened in Ireland where unemployment went to 15% there was a ton of emigration there was a ton of internal migration from we'll say Limerick Cork all of the kind of the, the, the provincial towns and cities to Dublin for work right that happened it happened to me okay, it, it, like is in. I, I didn't leave directly for Dublin, but I know a ton of people who did, who took their young kids, who were maybe were 8, 9 at the time, or whatever, and moved up to Dublin for work. Those people then, maybe they take up rugby, maybe they don't. That then leads to, like, because again, you look at the number of people who've got uh, Munster or outside of Munster connections in Dublin, for especially for the current Leinster team like uh, Ronan Keller's father was from Dublin or from Cork moved to Dublin um, to teach in St. Michael's um, or to be the headmaster everything actually um, that's one example but there were loads of others you know you look at the guys who, who've moved there who for the, the, the geographic pull that's there in Dublin that has been there really since the foundation of the state like you look at the Gary Ringrose's uncle our uh, grandfather was a a colonel in the army, but moved to Dublin from Limerick incredibly early. Now, if there was more of a reason to stay in Limerick or have more of a, we'll say less of a a massive, uh, we'll say gravity pull to Dublin, which I think everybody can accept is the case in Ireland with regards to both money, with regards to like the, the bulk of jobs um, like there's a reason why there's more people living there than there are everywhere else it's not because Dublin is an incredibly brilliant place to live that's where most of the work is so like I think that's fair enough to admit that's there and I 100% agree Munster to compete with that advantage would have needed to make every single correct decision along the way and we didn't one of the things that that, that really hurt us, I would agree is the the size of and Park and the, the money that was taken or that, that was loaned rather um, to take on that and and to make that stadium the size that it is, I think it being twenty six thousand is being a little bit too much. I think if it went back maybe twenty k, maybe eighteen k, you know, fully you know one hundred percent seat or whatever else, that probably would have been good. Um, and it, I, I think everybody can accept that. The for a time at least, anyway, the repayment of that loan to the IRFU was burdensome, and it hurt the ability to invest in other areas. That that hurt, but also I think as well. Uh, population drain is an issue that's causing trouble as well, where um, if you have 50 players turning up to a rugby club in um, Dublin, for example, right? And we'll, if we, if we say on a conservative basis that one out of every 10 of those players is going to be a power athlete, right? And we'll say if the rugby club in Limerick has 25 people turning up. If we go to the same, being generous, the same one out of 10 players will be a power athlete. The team in Dublin will have five. The team in Limerick will have two. Where will those two players end up? In Limerick. Back row, probably, right? In Dublin, if those two, if those same players with the same numbers who were there, they'll end up either in the back row or one will migrate to the front row, i.e. Ronan Keller or the likes of Dan Sheehan or the likes of Andrew Porter or the likes of all these other players they will see a route for them to play the game will be there but in Munster we'll say like Daniel Okeke for example he's a guy who I think could well have been a prop from a young age if he was in Dublin because if he wanted to play that's where the natural place for him to play would have been because there are other guys there's loads of competition numbers do matter and I think pretending that they don't matter and pretending that demographics don't matter like like for for example right St. Michael's Black Rock all of these clubs that are in or these schools rather than that are in the Leinster senior cup the level of facilities and preparation that these teams have and that these schools have they've got they've got professional directors of rugby like what's his name Skihan, for st michael's is a professional director of rugby there they have unbelievable facilities that are better than some of the AIL clubs that I've been to down here and I'm talking about one A clubs so like that in itself is an advantage pretending it isn't an advantage is again I think it's 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 as deluded as saying that it's literally just the advantages that they have outside of rugby that make Leinster the team that they are both for me are deluded I think both are true they're incredibly well coached they've got an incredibly centralised system like for example um, the number of CCRO coaches that they have they don't really have to go do a whole ton of driving to go see a ton of those players in person. So if there's a Leinster Senior Cup game going on and a lot of the teams are based in that M50 circle, for example, you get to do more work and you're doing less travel to do it. Munster though, if because I think Munster have 24 at the moment uh, development officers that they have. They have three or four college development officers as well. Like, for those guys, they have to do more driving because the players are spread out more. So, like, you're doing less scouting and coaching and more driving. So, you're spending more money straight away to make that happen. So, like, all of that stuff is, it's a disadvantage. But I will agree that Munster did make poor decisions over the last couple of years. And I, But I think if you go back to the moment, we can see now they bad decisions. But if you go back to the moment when those decisions were made, I think you can see the logic behind them. Like, for example, how many times have you seen over the last number of, of seasons that um, the the size of the Aviva Stadium is too small, right? Where 52k, whatever the, whatever the capacity is, that that's way too small for both soccer, but mainly for rugby because of the demand that's there for the tickets. That was Munster in 2007, right? Or 2006, whenever these plans would have been put into action it was there was waiting lists for tickets so i think what they decided in that moment was what if i know we can make the stadium 20k or whatever else but what if we made it 26k look at all the people that we have who are trying to get tickets who can't get them what a stadium that would be we want to get more people in more people equals more money that was the plan but then economy collapsed in 2008 more or less and like that also has an effect like people like to think that that sports entertainment is is separate from the real world but it isn't when people have less money to spend or when they've lost their job they're less likely to buy a jersey they're less likely to buy a ticket to go to a match they're more likely to just save that money maybe watch on TV if they can and look and that's just reality I think that's that's that, that, I think that's a fair enough thing to say and when you look at certain aspects of Munster's development from we'll say 2008 to we'll say 2015 there were poor decisions made when it came to which guys to bring through and which guys not to bring through the read at the time was these are the type of players that we feel will be you know successful for rugby going forward because it's what we've done before we were successful before these guys we feel will be the same level of success and we'll go forward throw, throw in a little bit a few injuries to guys who you know were good players and, and maybe could have been great players but never became who they could have been because of injury never replacing guys like Leamy Flannery O'Connell uh, Hayes Horan <laughs> Anthony Foley Ronan O'Gara all these great players who were the guys who drove Munster and Ireland to where we are now um, replacing all those guys in essentially what was a three or four year period incredibly difficult that also plays a factor but I will agree Munster needed to be perfect to negate and I think it was Pat Garrett he said this um, that if Leinster get their act together with regards to their schools and the population thing Monster will be in big, big trouble. And that's true. He was dead right. Munster needed to be perfect from, we'll say, 2008 to 2015 to make sure that we wouldn't be in a situation where we are now, where there is such a big gap. And I, I agree with what you say with regards to the following the Canterbury model. But to an extent, like you look at the guys who've, who've moved there as well, I think the environment in New Zealand is different also, where if you want to play for the All Blacks, you will go where they put you. So you look at the the Barrett brothers, for example. In Ireland, if all those guys came up, they would have all played for the Hurricanes. But as we know, they didn't. We know Bowden did. He's now playing for the Blues. uh, Jordy Barrett plays for uh, the Hurricanes. Uh, Scott Barrett, their brother, went to play for the Crusaders. That's true of a lot of players. There's a lot more movement inside uh, New Zealand than what there is in Ireland specifically for that reason in that they feel that there is a better chance of being successful as test level if they have talent spread out more across all of their regions and that's where they feel and look they understand that there's obviously going to be one team who are going to end up being a lot better or we'll say more dominant than the other teams that's always going to happen in every environment but they do try to mitigate that as much as possible where some lads are literally told if you want to play for the all blacks you'll go here and that's kind of the discussion that they have with all blacks players um, or guys who have that potential they'll go look if you want to play you're going to go here. Like you look at Nankivel, the guy who we've signed for next season, came up through Canterbury um, came up through the, the Christchurch kind of uh, Crusader system, um, but moved to the Chiefs because, well, look, if you want to play, that's where you got to go. And that's where he went. And he's now become a really good player off the back of that. There is 100% more movement um around New Zealand franchises for players, for game time and opportunities and, and you know, first class opportunities than what there is up here at the moment maybe that's something that'll happen on the line but I think with regards to the Auckland and Dublin comparison there is a comparison there to be made where a lot of players from Auckland ended up having to go elsewhere for opportunities and for you know for game time over the course of the last we'd say 20 years because Auckland used to be a massive team in in New Zealand now the talent was still there maybe say maybe coaching has gone off as to your point which is true um, but I, I think in Dublin and in Ireland, it is more centralized than what it is in New Zealand, just by default, geography almost. Um, so that in itself is kind like, it's true, but not true enough to fully make the point, I would say. Um, but yeah, no, I think that at the moment, like Leinster are look, well ahead of everybody else. I think most of the Irish provinces at the moment have a puncher's chance against them at best. But that's just the, the way things are at the moment. And I think for, for Munster, I think there is... And I think we need to box clever with regards to the guys that we have, like, I think teams expect, and I I, I would say, like, you look at the, the way that Munster approaches internally is different from the way fans talk about it. For Munster to be successful, it's not going to look exactly like Leinster does now. It just won't. Like, it it literally, it is impossible for that to happen. Um, We don't have the numbers. So, and this is something when you speak to any guy who's been involved in Munster, they will say, look, the core of that, of that team being successful will be from Munster. You'll have a good, a good core of young players and experienced players that will be from Munster. You will then have around 20% of the team being Irish qualified, guys from, who are Irish qualified from outside of the Munster region then you will have around 10% out of that then. So 70, 20, 10% then will be non-Irish qualified or guys brought in as project guys or whatever else. And that then is how Munster will be successful. That's how we've been successful traditionally. It will never be the case. It'll be like Leinster where you've got 90% of the guys who 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 are there unless you get lucky with a golden generation. And sometimes, sometimes it is luck. I suppose that's the X factor really when it comes to looking at things like this over the long term sometimes you do get lucky a combination of players coming through meshing perfectly with the game as it is at the time and that that can create a legacy that you know is, is difficult to live up to especially if the game changes and I think that's something I think you know we look at rugby it's not especially with being it's such a young professional sport it is not unconnected to I suppose the realities of Modern life And I think that's something That A sensible Union I suppose In the long term Will look to try to mitigate against To prevent Kind of an all eggs in one basket Situation But you know what If you are that basket At that time You're thinking Look at all these eggs I have Nothing Will ever go wrong here But look That was uh, Some of the stuff that was around this morning The game itself uh, that we're here to talk about, Monster and the Sharks, was a really interesting game. And I think it was a really interesting game because it showed up elements of what we're trying to do and trying to build while also exposing areas where we are not currently at the level that we need to be, in my opinion. Um, and also exposing different levels of the machinery of of trying to get us to where we want to be and the efforts that have gone into getting us there uh, so far this season. Um, when you're trying to understand rugby at any kind of serious level, you're looking at a few different things first and foremost. The first of that is um, that everything you do is interconnected. Like you you know, if you choose to play a certain style, of, of play, that comes with a cost that you can't just throw out mid game or even mid season. Like if you are a team who plays heavy kick pressure, right? Just to go back and to give a, a kind of a simplified version of what I'm talking about here, that is the game that you have chosen to go down. So you must be conditioned to play that game. I will again go, because the the best example that anybody could hope to give you in this is to look back on the Springboks of 2018 and then the Springboks of 2019, right? It went on to win the World Cup. Now, the uh, move that Razzy Erasmus did um, was in 2017-2018. He left at the start of 2018, right? Prior to that point, uh, the Springboks had tried to make uh, quite a large change in their game plan. Uh, they had tried to become and I think they were trying to answer what they saw as being near complete domination of the Tri nations or the rugby championship by the All blacks they were trying to do a little bit of what the all blacks were doing by taking elements of South Africa's game that maybe hadn't been represented at test level at at, at you know for some time at that point okay now if you look at South Africa as a whole you might just associate for the moment uh, South African rugby with big huge men crushing you underfoot you know with a big set piece a big line out a big mall and so on and so forth that's true to a certain extent but it doesn't reflect the full scope of the type of rugby that is played in South Africa you look at the Stormers you look at the Cheetahs you look at a number of different clubs who've played in Curry Cup and stuff like that like they have different styles of rugby there that just don't reflect what we've seen from the Springboks as of late, okay? But, if you look at um, Kutsia, who was the coach at the time, Alistair Kutsia, that's what he was trying to bring in, to very mixed results. Now, they had a few good results, they weren't all bad, but when Razzie came in, he came in for a reason. South Africa were losing, and they were losing the type of games that they just didn't lose before and, and couldn't really afford to lose. So what he did was what he did at Munster, was to strip back their game completely and focus on a few key things. Those key things are what will win you the game. This was their plan. They're big rocks of their game. What's the goal? Look, we um want to have the best scrum in the world, we want to have the best line out in the world, we want to have the best mall in the world, and we want to dominate teams defensively. So he brought Jacques Nina with him, he brought um the um SNC coach Alad Walters, brought him also, and basically the SNC coach is hugely important here, by the way conditioned the team that he had over the course of the next two years to strip back their game for the most part, okay? So they took away a lot of the stuff that wasn't working. They still had that there in their armory for, you know, can be used on certain occasions, maybe not to the same level, but, you know, it is there. But they brought that game then to the World Cup and they beat all before them. And I think the reason why is because it was easy to impose on a large group of people there's a you know guys coming from all over the world to play for the springboks they don't just play in one club so what you do has to be easily picked up by the guys you bring in it has to reflect the strengths of the team that are there so it's like your the context i suppose the game plan has to suit the players you have available to you it did and Uh, the coaching then and the game plan approach has to reflect that also so it all has to sink in together and you have to have the cardio to be able to execute this at the very highest level so the uh, the spring box what they did was is they became very very fit in the level that they needed to be now most of the time they needed to have a 6-2 split to do this because they needed to interchange their front five for the most part Um, but what they do is they kick the ball an awful lot they box kicked mainly and Their forwards would march up the field, 20-30 metres at a time. They would crush you in defence, they would kick the ball back to you, you'd kick it back to them, rinse and repeat, they would make an error, you would crush them at the scrum, you would get a line out from it, you would maul them, you would attack them on first phase. You basically mitigated against errors because the Springboks, when it came to it, didn't really play a whole lot of rugby in the areas where errors would really hurt them. So their style perfectly reflected the players that they had, and they had the power to do it. So they basically took, Razzie took what he knew would work at Munster, and and, and did work at Munster, albeit with a far less powerful pack, and then translated it to the Springboks, where they have the biggest, most physical freaks going, and they won a World Cup. Now, the game has changed a little bit since you look at the kicking game with regards to box kicking has changed quite a bit. That's taken something from the spring box. They've had to elevate their game a small bit and they've had to change up elements of what they do. Now that said, once the World Cup comes around, I would expect them to keep it very, very tight again. But they haven't had the sort of unprecedented success that you would expect from World Cup winners in the last four years because elements of the game have changed. Fifty twenty two has changed an awful lot about the overall kicking game that most teams play and I think that the Springboks have, have struggled to I think they've struggled to react to it um, fully. I mean, you look at some of the stuff that they were trying against Ireland in November, for example, that'll give you an idea as how difficult it is to take a group of people who are doing one thing for many years and then looking to try to add little bits and pieces to that. It can be very, very difficult. It, it might not fit who you have. For example, if you look at all the mistakes that the Springboks had against Ireland, for example, and look at their halfbacks, you could go, OK, look, they were trying to play a little bit more rugby. Why did that not work? The halfbacks weren't really picking the best options and executing really well. So those types of players must be pretty important if you're going to play more on-ball rugby, right? That's, that's the concept that we're talking about here. If you choose to play a certain way, you have to be conditioned to play that way, but you also have to be able to cover all angles. Like the Springboks, for example, kicked the ball an awful lot. They chased an awful lot, which means that what do you have to have to, to make that work? You need wingers who are good in the air. You need wingers who are quick because you need to shut down a lot of space when you kick and get there you know, right when the opposition are looking to try and claim the ball, stall it and then have massive forwards coming up and battering them physically. What would you expect to happen then? You'd see an awful lot of knock-ons or you'd expect an awful lot of line-outs. So what do you have? You want to have a massive line-out. You want to have a massive scrum, which they knew they had, right? So they were able to close off all aspects of the game, which made them incredibly difficult to beat with that style of rugby at the time, which meant that Uh, Teams were basically trying to adapt to them. And they went from being like a team who everybody was laughing at in 2017 to being world champions two years later. Now what Munster are trying to do is reflective of the same question. How do we get this team to win with the guys we have available to us right now? Remember, this is a question that Munster would have been asking themselves when uh, Prendergast and Roundtree and Leamy and Kiriakou were coming together and with George Murray also coming together uh, before the preseason uh, of this year how do we turn this team into into a team that can win maybe this year to achieve the aims that we want but to ultimately be a team that wins trophies in two years three years or whatever else how do we go about doing that and you look at the guys who you have available to you what do monster have at the moment we have a very strong front five or back five rather in the front row we have a lot of guys who are, I would say, who are decent players, but who aren't the same sort of power athletes as, you know, an Andrew Porter or a Dan Sheehan, who we tried to sign last year, and um, guys of that nature, or like, or like Tyke Faralong, for example. These guys are not the same type of players physically as, you know, Franz Van Harba, Stephen Kitchoff, you know, Unia Tonio. These, that, that is not what we have in the front row. Even a, a Julian Marchand, we don't have that type of guy. So, what we were trying to do is a game that takes advantage of what we have, which is strong, which, in pre-season, was a back five that, theoretically, we, all, we we knew that there could be injuries, but, theoretically, you would imagine, look, well, we hope at some point to be able to have a back five there that has Gavin Coombs at number eight, Peter O'Maney at seven, Ty Byrne at six, Jean Klein at four, RG in at five on the bench then maybe Thomas O'Hearn to come on and replace one of those or we can mix and match depending on how it is but they're like your, your back five of your five best most experienced kind of closest to international recognition level players or guys who've got the sort of physical profile that you would typically want at international level depending on the whims of the coach so with that back five you could think well what can we what do we know we can do with those guys right if we look at RG Snayman, if we look at Tyg Byrne if we look at Peter O'Manny, if we look at Gavin Coombs what are they good at what is Jean Clain good at well we know Jean Clain when he doesn't have to be a primary ball carrier for us is a really impactful offensive breakdown guy Okay, we have that what do we know about Tyg Byrne world class player he's a guy who we can throw up in the line out offensively defensively a great counter jumper as is Peter O'Manny. Peter O'Manny and Tyg Byrne though you look at their skill sets very similar with regards to their ability to throw passes their ability to throw offloads they're a bit like they're, they're very skilled players right then you look at RG Snayman, who is your tight head lock power forward who could win collisions against as he did in this game against two uh, Sharks forwards and still look to try and offload the ball if we have that sort of back five our front row then just need to be guys who can help us secure the rook that's something that they can do a guy like Dave Kilcoyne at the time wasn't sure what his status was but we figured look we can make something work with the guys that are there they don't need to be massive power players because we're we're, we're basically playing a system that doesn't require them to be it needs them to have a decent skill set to be able to pass through the screen but they can do that like thing is like people make, people make out that monsters uh, front row forwards aren't skilled players like they are skilled players but the size of guy that's required now and the athlete that's required now is different from when a lot of these guys were coming up and coming through. And I think that's I, mean, I think that's fair enough to say. But you look at what Munster are trying to build from there is, like your our halfbacks were expected to have a lot of option taking, so to play a lot of what was in front of them. But our outside back line, all kind of have to be similar players now. Like, the reason why Malachi Fekatoa didn't work is because I think in this system, Munster understood that we don't have as uh, the sort of front row power and the overall power to smash teams on counter transition we don't have a, pa- a front row that can do that and you might say well why is it just about the front row look the front row make up 6 of the more or less 13 players that you're going to have in your uh, in your pack between starting and finishing if they aren't able to run the game plan you're playing your game plan won't work because it's not just about the scrum anymore okay it's not just about even the line out like, it's about everything in between. So, if you're trying to play a game of counter-transition rugby where you're kicking long down the field and three of your uh, primary front row player or your, your your primary pack players are off the pace or aren't where they need to be on transition, you get killed. So, your game has to reflect that. So, I think we understand and we, we knew before the season that, look if Salanoa comes through which was again far from a a given he came back in great shape after being in um, over in Hawaii for a bit in the summer he came back playing really well he kind of pulled it all together intellectually I suppose and so great that's a real power athlete right there but you know you you look at if that's one guy down uh, who's a fellow who's the appropriate sort of power athlete there's still question marks over Keenan Knox what's his availability is he a guy who's going to scale up this year then you look at uh, Dave Kilcoyne, questions over his fitness at that point as well. Um, Niall Scannell is who he is. Dermot Barron has improved like his his size, of course, but I don't think he's ever going to be a massively explosive player. Like he's not gonna turn into Dan Sheehan all of a sudden, you know, or or Tyrone Kelleher even. Like he's a different type of player. And that's completely fine. You need guys who are like that. You've got Josh Witcherly, a guy who has he's still building himself as a prop, I think. He's still maybe a year or two out from being physically ready. Jeremy Lockman added a lot of size. He did well on a tu- on a uh, on the Irish tour to New Zealand, um, or at least impressed when he was down there when he was uh, fit and available. So there's that, and like you have guys like that, and Stephen Archer, an experienced guy. You know, you know what you get from him. So you know, like, well, we have these guys who are good players, and with this style that we hope will work, we should be able to beat most teams and look have a crack off the teams who, who we who we need to beat to get to the achievements we want this year I'm not sure anybody in Munster this year was thinking we're winning a URC in Highland Cup double this year and that's that like that, that was not the case as the season wore on of course it didn't really work out that way um, RG Snaman was meant to be back on the first uh, basically for the first game of the season didn't happen he only came back a couple of weeks ago with basically three quarters of the season already done um, And that is what it is. We m- missed Ty Byrne for the second time in a row uh, after an injury picked up in the Six Nations. Um, You've got Thomas O'Hearn and Edwin Adogbo, who kind of shocked everybody who came through, was really killing it in pre-season, um, and then came through and just started performing to an incredibly high level just right out the gate. And, um, like, that then, he got injured. So, like, the power that we needed to make what we were trying to do work became harder and harder to sustain as, as the as the season wore on you know we were having difficulties playing but at the same time we got some decent results in the midway part of the season uh, it clicked there for a while uh, against South Africa A for example who were a fairly disjointed team so they were big but not not necessarily had much in the way of uh, uh, much in the way of cohesion and they had a few guys there who were you know big players but again they're the type of guys who we know tend to go missing when the pressure comes on and Monster played well in a pressure situation in that game so like we won it um. so when you look at what our game is at now um, we are still at a point where we don't have 80 minute power so when you look at the way we're trying to play is we're trying to play a lot of on-ball rugby we're trying to not kick the ball away for the most part when we kicked the ball here it was the smart tactical decision to do at the time we won't just hang on to the ball for love and money at all costs we're just not we're not we're not going to do that jack crowley made some good decisions in this game that were a hair away from coming off one of them and the rest of them were fairly well executed kicks from there um we need a lot of breakdowns right with the game we're playing, and we've played a 1.4 pass per carry average for the majority of this season, okay? So what that means is that we're a pretty expansive team for the most part. We throw a lot of passes in games relative to the amount of times we carry directly into contact, okay? Now you look at the Sharks in this game, they played at a 0.94 pass per carry average, which meant that they carried the ball into contact more than they passed it. That'll give you an idea as to how much they kicked And when they did have possession, how they approached us, which was very, very direct. We don't have a team at the moment that can play with that level of directness successfully for very long. We scored a try at the end of the first half that had a lot of direct rugby in it. But we can't do that for the majority of a game because we aren't conditioned to do so. What we want to do is have a lot of possession after teams kick the ball to us because again we want to mitigate the amount of time that we're defending for so we don't want to be defending for the majority of a game we don't want to play off-ball rugby because I think we understand that you don't get rewarded for off-ball rugby in a way that maybe we thought we did last year because we we don't have the, the players for it first of all and like we were a team who had a heavy poach focus. We don't anymore. We, we don't poach all that much anymore. Look, if it's there to, to be gone, we, we, we will go after it. But we're not a team who poaches an awful lot. And I think that is something that, you know, reflects the changes that have happened. We've tried to change our conditioning. People asking like, well, we're, we're, we're training faster. What does that mean? We're trying to become a fitter team so we can attack the ball more regularly. Attacking is very... Uh, physically quite demanding defense is too look it's all connected but if you're going to play a lot of multi phase attack you need to be incredibly fit uh because there's lots of breakdown entries there's lots of different reshaping of 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 pods of and when you when you when you pass by the way a 1.4 pass per carry average what does that mean it means a wider game because look you can only pass the ball sideways in this game right ball goes sideways what does that mean the the ball's going further away from the player who passed it And if you pass the ball two or three times in a sequence before you have a ruck, you're passing the ball away from support, which means that the ruck that comes after that, it's under huge pressure to be retained. What the Sharks did is that they were able to slow down these rucks, knowing that we needed to keep players in the line. We needed guys who could get one man cleans. Uh, We didn't. Against the team that we were playing, it didn't work. We didn't. Well, I will say this. It didn't work consistently in the conditions as well we just didn't have the energy um, it seemed that we were really struggling with the heat and humidity that isn't an excuse it's just a factor in how this game got so drastically away from us but that doesn't really explain either how we lost this game decisively at the start of, this, of the of the second half now I, it isn't in the footage that I got of this game but watching live we came out and we looked shook coming out after half time now I don't know whether these lads got a rocket up them by the coach or whether they were really struggling with the heat and humidity because uh, it was the humidity is the big deal down there rather than the heat so much uh, I think it was 83% humidity or something which is just unbearable if you've been in that on holidays um, it, it was just one of those situations where we came out and I was like as we kicked off I remember looking and I was thinking we are in big fucking trouble here because we do not look like we've got a whole ton of energy we were playing away fine when we started though retained the ball off the kick off which we did really well here um, but we were going through the phases, and it just felt that we were a couple of times we were passing to a guy, and he was all in his own. Like there was one in the in the in the start of the second half where we passed to Dave Kilcoin and uh, Mike Haley had to come shooting in from out of nowhere to try and retain the ball because Kilcoin was there in his own. Now whether that was a bad call by the scrum half to make that pass, or he got a bad call to put it there, or he didn't get a call and went with the guy who called that's the kind of thing where you get turned over against the Sharks team because they're just so big and so physical. It's incredibly difficult to retain the ball if they get big bodies over it. Now, there was a few, I'm watching this back on a few occasions, I thought that now could have easily been a penalty to Munster there for a guy going off his feet. That happened quite a a bit here, but it's Wayne Barnes refereeing. It's vibes only. Like, we needed to react to that a little bit quicker. And I felt to be honest, we were a bit quiet all day and a bit timid um with regards to getting up into um into uh uh Wayne Barnes and kind of questioning some of the stuff he was doing. Like uh Gavin Coombs is the guy who had the most uh input into into um Barnes all day and he had some, you know, some that referee fucking joke bullshit like kind of going, oh, you don't have any credibility on that. It's just like that might be hilarious to barristers but like as in you sound like a fucking nerd here with that credibility shit like I, I, I don't know I, when I see referees doing that just referee the fucking game forget you got a mic on you and there's TV cameras on you this isn't the Wayne Barnes show but when I saw um, our, our, our reluctance to react to it and if you watch the game afterwards or the the, the press conference on the Monster YouTube page you will see um, Graham Roundtree saying that we didn't stick in at the breakdown long enough Um, What that meant was, is that we got there fine, but we didn't expend enough energy securing it against a fairly hard counter ruck. One of the biggest problems that we had in this game was, is that we didn't have consistent access to the ball after we carried it. The Sharks were really good at, not on every ruck, but on certain important ones of getting a lot of disruption there to make sure that the ball couldn't get away as quickly as we wanted it to and I saw Craig Casey getting a lot of criticism for this I've watched the game back three times A few on a, on a few occasions he had to go dig in fair enough and there was one where he didn't have options outside him but I think he actually moved the ball relatively quick enough you know it's just that you can't stick your arm through other guys legs like you can't just phase through them and then come back out with the ball like you've got to have a clean access to the ball both going in and coming out otherwise you knock the ball on and you're in Egypt then for, for, for rushing at the breakdown then so, like, we weren't getting a clean pocket, and that comes back to losing collisions, which we did on in attack and we did in defense. Like, it ultimately, like, as in people going about rugby being, being being a simple game, it's an incredibly complex game. But the simple part is it is that if you start losing collisions on both sides of the ball, you lose the game more often than not. We had no access into this game with regards to one thing we could fall back on that we knew, well, we know we have this, that we can at least tread water. This team doesn't have that yet. Like, for example, Leinster play counter-transition rugby. Um, they're comfortable playing that. Like, they control, um, like, they can start kicking long. They're conditioned to do so. They can tread water if they're under pressure. They can kick long. They can meet the, they can meet the runner. They'll engage in a long kicking battle like that while they get their wits. We don't really have that what we're doing at the moment is that we're almost playing through that if we're in trouble so we need guys to be constantly composed we need guys to be able to throw accurate passes and continue to generate options And and we didn't like if you look at this game like the majority of what we were doing seemed to be passing around massive physical pressure from the Sharks so like you would think well who had the most amount of carries in this game you would think Gavin Coombs it's like no it wasn't Gavin Coombs it was Antoine Frisch and Malachi Fekitoa they were our primary guys and Dave Kilcoyne carried the ball 10 times as well which I don't think is a good sign because like he carries the ball there is no passing threat there so it's a it's a physical challenge and stopping Dave Kilcoyne uh, fucking you could clone me four times and all four of us couldn't do it but that's the sort of 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 pattern we'll say that I don't think works for this team I understand why we were doing it but for me what this game showed was is that we there, there there's a few areas where we need to either we and basically you need to get players in right it's about developing guys if there's a guy that comes up from within great I think a guy like Edwin Adogbo and Thomas O'Hearn really help us here right but for me to round out our game for example if you have a great counter transition team right one thing that can undo you with counter-transition where you kick the ball to receive it back. What kills you is if you don't have a good line-out. When Ireland looked like shit for the first part of, of Andy Farrell and Mike Cats ten- uh, tenure, it's because our line-out was sub-elite. So you will get a lot of lineouts if you play counter-transition rugby. You have to have a good line-out on both sides of the ball. Okay? So for Munster, playing the sort of game that we are, which is, I would call it a high-tempo, high-possession, post-transition game which is when teams give us the ball back what we try to do is kill them straight away off the first or second phase of transition but then we'll keep going we will keep running through phases of transition there afterwards while their defense is unsettled and moving and trying to get back into structure we will try to catch them on those phases what we don't have on the other side of that is we don't have an elite level line out okay our line out is not great we also don't have an elite maul our mall and lineout, I would say, is arguably the worst of the three provinces or the four provinces um, in the country. You have the other three provinces in Europe right now, uh, Champions Cup rather than Challenge Cup. Um, so that is a problem, and I think it's something that's been there all season long. Where look, we had a few misses in this game, yeah, but I think defensively as well, our lineout over the last couple of weeks hasn't been able to get purchase on the opposition as much as we'd like. Um, I think our midfield balance is wrong, also, which is why. I think we were so keen to get rid of Malachi Fekitoa. He is not the type of player that we need in our backline. We need balanced players. Guys who can give us a kicking game. Guys who have that threat all the way through. Like more complete players who are not utility backs but kind of have a, a, a wide variety of skill set. That's kind of what we're looking for there. That's not Malachi Fekitoa, who will look brilliant at Benetton by the way. They perfectly suit what he's doing. We're running a different game and with how independently our backline runs, we need guys who have more of a of a wider skill set. He's more of a, he's not a hitter, but like as in, he's a guy who has a kind of a short offloading game. Um, we, we We need a more balanced player there. And I think that's why we went to the efforts to kind of make that change, even though he was on a two-year deal. So we need guys who have a wider skill set there. And you can see why we'd need that in a game like this where you need multiple guys who are capable of handling the ball and generating width but you also need guys who are well balanced breakdown players who are able to get in and um, secure those wide rucks effectively with one or two man cleans at the very least but to retain the ball and I think what the Sharks did really well is counter our rucks we came under pressure physically then and like you could see there's a few occasions where Craig Casey normally I and mean, he was one of the most accurate players in the Six Nations when it came to passing while also being one of the highest volume passers in the Six Nations a lot of his passes were, were off where they would normally be and you go well why is that I saw one clip where it looked like he was getting looking to try to get the typical spin he gets on release but the ball was slipping and with that slip the ball uh, trajectory started to go lower so that's one of the things in playing in high humidity and high heat that hurts you. So you have uh, sweat, grease in the ball, that can create a little bit of issue for uh, a team like that. It was part of it. It's not necessarily the, the, the monster didn't lose because it was hot and humid, but it, it played a part in, in, in everything. And I suppose that, like the one thing that we'll take from this is, is that this game showed that we struggle in Maldi. Um, that's something that's been there for a lot of this season. Like elements of bad luck in one of them. But the other two and the pressure we came under there, not bad luck. We just were struggling there. And that's something that's been, a, 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 we've degraded there since last year. So that needs to change and improve. You look at our, um, our, our line-out in general, our, our, our offensive line-out, I know we scored from it, but in general, we're not threatening teams to the same level that Ulster and Leinster would be, for example. I think if we can keep Sneiman and Klain fit, and find out because I think we're a little bit compromised at the moment with regards to and I'm saying compromise in that we're making compromises at the moment in that I think we along with every other team out there um, who are looking like they're going to be winning in Europe this year play with a three lock pack everybody except us now I I This is something I've been over and back with different people kind of going, what makes you think that Munster are going to try and play this style of rugby when they haven't played this style of rugby? To play a three-lock pack, you need to have four fit locks, right? Uh, or, and one of those locks has to have the, the, the capacity to play a slightly wider role, which we do. We have plenty of guys who can do that. But we haven't had four of them fit or available at the one time all season long. I think we only we had that once against the Bulls when Tyg Byrne played at six uh, with Edwin Adogbo and I think it was Jean Klain playing in the second row and we looked really effective but we haven't had the chance to play them because we frankly haven't been able to keep these guys fit it has been a key part of the last couple of seasons in that we do not have and haven't had available second rows of the appropriate size for the majority of the season and especially when it comes to the run-in I think that's something that fit that like that doesn't cure all our problems straight away but at least addresses some of the issues that we saw here while also giving us scope to change up and, and move things around like because a lot of the questions I've had in the aftermath of this game have been like, well, what do Munster do? Like, how do Munster change up what we've seen uh, from the team this season, especially over the last couple of weeks where we've been, like, when teams have dropped gears on us, we struggle to live with them. Like, whatever about Glasgow, they, they, they played a high pass per carry game as well. Like, they're in a really good place at the moment. But they have more heavy power players than they, than we do, and they had in the game in Tholme Park. Like, they did. And like, there's no point trying to dance around and kind of go, oh, well, we should be beating them. Like, look at the team, look at the build, look at the build of the players that are there. Like, we got beaten up in that first half, but we were, we were beaten up by the team who had the bigger players in the key areas, like Vilanu, Faggerson, Cummings, uh, Duprea. like those guys, whatever about their, their their notability, were bigger, more physical players and they understood where we were weak. They made it, our, our breakdowns very, very slow, so we weren't able to tear them up. So how do you respond to that? Like, how do you adapt to that adaption that teams have kind of fallen into over the last number of weeks? But again, look levels have gone up. Stakes have gone up. Like, we blew away the Scarlets in the first half. They had nothing for us. But, like, at the same time, we started making errors in the second half. Turnovers are a killer for a high pass per carry team. And and that sort of... of I don't know. I think I think that sort of 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 change you're thinking, well, who do you get in? Well, you need powerful breakdown players. Right? Like I think there's a there's a misconception that monster need a, a front row who can carry the ball. Like we don't need a front row who carries the ball. We have guys who can carry the ball. What we need is explosive dominant breakdown players who are so dominant and impactful that most teams don't even bother to compete when it comes to counter-rucking or whatever else because they don't want to get hurt right they're the type of players we need like people are saying oh look getting in like you know just to pick like somebody would, would signing Taniella Tupou make a big deal for Munster would that be a guy who could help Munster change things around look he certainly could right he's a world class player but it doesn't need to be Taniella Tupu to make uh, Munster a better a better team we don't need world class guys we just need guys who've got the appropriate size and qualities for what we need two guys who I think would improve monster straight away right now are two guys you probably really haven't either heard of or, ever, or thought about longer than what you've seen him on a team sheet they would be um, Jan Hendrik Vessels and Gerhard Steenkamp from the Bulls Steenkamp 6'4 uh, loose head prop 128kg Jan Hendrick Vessels he used to go He was a former Claremont Academy guy uh, He's 6'4 Hooker 120kg um, as well Both Very powerful guys Both breakdown Dominant, dominant guys That's what monster need Guys who've got That size and power Who can win those Tight collisions over the ball And allow you to play With a little bit more Expansivity Against teams like The Sharks who I think are almost Perfected at taking it Away from you If you don't have The power to just blast them off the ball. I think that's something that, when you look at the few people who've been on to me saying, well, look, why didn't Munster do what Leinster would have done in this game? We don't have the same players. We don't have the guys who can play a sort of counter transition rugby that would tire out the Sharks without engaging them physically, like for like. We don't have the players to do that. Leinster can play hands off against these guys. We know that we can't do that because if we were to kick a high volume, high distance kicking game against the Sharks in those conditions, we would have done ourselves in as much as hope what we hope would have done from them but we didn't have the players for them when they would start rolling across playing tight carries on transition afterwards we would have struggled to live with them we would have given up penalties we would have ended up in the exact same place what we tried to do is what we've been trying to do all season high possession high tempo post-transition rugby when it worked we scored tries and we scored tries but the problem was those 15 minutes right after halftime we conceded 19 points our mall D was the biggest issue where we over competed uh, on the ones that, well, look some of them you, you felt you kind of had to roll the dice on fair enough but um, it rolled up the dice and came up snake eyes for us we were done and um, once the game was over uh, and it was over then once we went I think it was like 22 points down at that point we were never getting that back and yeah um, you know we stuck in there we kept playing we scored some tries yeah the Sharks kind of took their foot off the gas a small bit as well but at the moment like until our line out improves on both sides of the ball defensively I think a Hearn coming back in and a Dogbo getting more regular minutes would be a guy who could help us there until we get the hitters in the front row that we need we will tend to come up short against big physical teams like this because they know where they can engage us and where they engaged us here was our inability to decisively win uh, the breakdowns that we needed. And we needed way more than them. They knew that they could roll the dice and look, referee plays a part in this too. As in, their adaption to him was spot on, ours wasn't. And I think that's something that we need to work on also. But until we have the horses there, my theory was, right, prior to this, that when you have uh, RG Snayman and Jean Klain there now perhaps it'll be it'll be true when we have Edwin Adogbo maybe or Thomas O'Hearn on the bench as well that you can mitigate against the guys who are there but our game is is different than what Ireland are playing and what uh, and what Leinster are playing um, they're there similar principles the fitness levels need to be the same but for different reasons and I think that um, until we get the power that we need um, and it's going to be uh, look maybe Lockman helps I'm sure I think Lockman helps uh, Barron next season after a full preseason probably further along Salanoa Knox coming in as well maybe having a Salanoa like season this year could also really help uh, you're looking at uh, Josh Ritcherly another preseason you know adding a little bit more size and power that could help also but I can't help but, but, but feel that you know and, and look again I think Chris Moore is a guy who could help us as well. I mean, he's been playing AIL this year. I haven't been blown away from, by him, but I think in a fully pro environment, like he's, he's done well for young Munster when I've seen him, but I think with um, a lot of professionals around him uh, and a, a heavier back five to go to, I think he could work. But, you know, Scott Buckley's another player there too. But look, I, I think that ultimately Munster will have to get somebody in to bridge the power that we need in one of those six spots I think Salanoa can do it Knox potentially can do it um, but with the other four spots we, we need guys to come in and give us that power dominance at least for a segment of a game and until that changes when we come up against teams like this if all everything else is equal like if we have and if we have klein if we have Burn, if we have a Hearn if we had a, a Dogbow and everybody else that we needed fit and available to be fit and available like add in a bit of power to be able to help us to anchor our game I think we're much closer to hurting the Sharks repeatedly. At the moment, we're a team who's got good skills. They were really challenged here. But I think that in the longer term, like to get over what we saw here, which is they attacked our breakdown, not necessarily as poachers, although they did that too, but our transit of the ball. We then struggle to break teams and like we need guys who can help us dominantly win one or two man cleans against super elite super heavyweight teams until we can get that we will be at the level that we're at now I think Munster know this right and they are aware of this but it's about getting the right guy in and getting permission to get the guy in if that guy isn't Irish qualified so that's where we're at we have to either find that guy from within and I think a guy like Darren McSweeney actually is a good bet as somebody who could break through relatively quickly next season with this in mind Um, but Again, I think the academy intake this year will be very, very interesting. I think we need to see a few more props and and hookers in that. Because I think at the moment, that's where the cutting edge of the game is. That's where, if you're looking to play any sort of expansive rugby or to defend the modern game, you need guys who can just brutalise with that short, heavy power in the middle of the field. Like, you look at where... like. You know, how we were hurt by Vailanu against Glasgow, for example, and Faggerson and um, Fraser Brown and uh, the the loose head name I, whose name escaped me against Glasgow. Even here, I know M Bonambi and Oxen J and, and uh, Thomas DeToy, I think they're all World Cup winners. But you look at the size and power that they have available to them, that helps. And like, until we make a change there, and look, the players who were there are good players. Like, Niall Scandal is a good player. And I genuinely, like I said before, if he broke through. In 2008, he would have been a a consistent international year after year after year from around 2010 on. And I think that he would have been having a really, really good international career. Like he's actually had a pretty decent international career as is, but the requirements and the physicality required of the guys in the front row that they need at the moment has changed. It's changed completely. So like the guys who we have at the moment are good players, but like the game has sort of moved the Overton window of what works at the highest level of trophy winning has kind of moved beyond them now and there's nothing wrong with that they still play a valuable role but we need to have guys i think you can bring that level of physicality and that's something that look they're working on and i think it's something that maybe in a season or, or more there might be a bit of clarity on um but it's something that i think they need to look at and i, I know that i know they are looking at it but it's just um doesn't make it any easier after a game like that which was um you know very very disappointing certainly in the aftermath but yeah, look, I've got some stuff coming this week on Monsters Line Out on the five euro tier. Uh, I've got a K mailbag. I've got Rugby Basics. I have got, um, uh, over the weekend coming as well, I've got a system coming called, a, a podcast coming called The System, which looks at what is the IRFU system when it comes to recruitment, when it comes to management, when it comes to everything. I'm breaking down everything that I know about the, the IRFU system and what you need to know about it as somebody who's watching and interested in rugby how the system works so that's a podcast i'm going to be bringing out soon and also as a request from jared Mallon, a subscriber i'm going to be having a look at um the imperfect 2010s basically looking at uh how Munster went from the heineken cup win we in 2008 to where we were in 2015 2016 and to a certain extent where we are now the decisions that were taken why they were taken at the time and uh, where they led and um, I hope that's going to be an interesting written series that's going to be coming out on the 5 euro tier um, over the next uh, couple of weeks so thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber we're back for that game against the Stormers coming up next week uh, it's going to be next uh, next Friday or Sat- I think next, next Saturday so keep an eye on the stuff coming up for that thank you very much for being a tier case subscriber I will talk to you again very very soon